remember very clearly the moment the penny dropped for me where you're chatting to someone at the circle and there's a few people on a table and someone's some old fella's doing something with pennies and someone over there is doing something and uh, I'll say, who's that, the old fella there? And he's like, oh, he was um, no, he was the guy who was the uh, put together the maps in Colditz for them. What? There's an, a huge amount of truth within the book, real names, real people, that we really want to pay homage to that world. And there are lots of people we refer to, not only famous people, but many of the characters in the book are based, if not kept the same names, as real people and the jobs they did. Dear friend, are you still there? Are you reading this? I want you to think of a magic word. Got one? Well, I'm guessing you're either thinking of Hocus Pocus or Abracadabra. Hi, and welcome to Bestsellers. I'm Natalie Jameson. And I'm Phil Williams. And on today's brand new episode, we're offering you not one writer, but two writers. Yeah, I was really excited about this one because I knew a lot of the work that Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson had done outside of writing even though there's obviously loads of writing in the tv work they've done with like mm. um you know various things like Darren brown and mysteries and, and ghost story and uh but i kind of i was just kind of quite fascinated to hear how they work together and to get a real insight into their friendship and mm. and it's a beautiful conversation yeah yeah i agree there are certain things you'll hear here what blew my mind um <laughs> anyway the book's called the warlock effect it's about magic but, you know, you know us well enough now. There's no spoilers. We're not going to spoil this book for you. So we, we'll set it up a little bit. But the, you're not going to hear anything in this podcast that's going to stop you from enjoying the book. So just to reassure you on that, there are some magic tricks in the book. We don't even reveal how they're done. We talk about them, but there's no revelation. So that's not even a spoil for you. And, yeah, that thing that Natalie just mentioned, they've known each other since they were, like, 15. And the um, it's really clear why the book is so warm and affectionately written because they have a brilliant relationship and it's it restores your faith in collaborating, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I think it's that, um, I mean, we collaborate. Yeah, I, know, <laughs> I love I working know. on this with you. Yeah, but I likewise. think it is, um, it's that notion of when you do find somebody who shares a similar sensibility to you and an outlook on life and things that you're passionate about and care about, um, it's quite infectious. And that's exactly what we got from this conversation. And yeah, just really hope you enjoy it. Here they are. Here's Andy and Jeremy. Well, it's double bubble for you on bestsellers in this episode, which we're hugely excited about. Not just one, but two guests who've collaborated on a number of projects together, writing projects, and have now collaborated on their first novel together called The Warlock Effect, which is what we're going to discuss. One of them is known for extensively working with Darren Brown. Another is known for being a co-creator of League of Gentlemen. You can decide which is which as the episode unfurls. It's Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson who join us on bestsellers. How are you both? Very well. Very good. Big enough build up, or should I have gone bigger? Well, I think you could probably say they've also both done, like, you know, Andy especially has done so much acting work as well. Um, I remember, like, chatting to you very briefly on a very rain-sodden, was it a pink carpet for Judy premiere that you did with Renee Zellweger? Yes. So there's lots of other things out there, too. Was it meant to be pink, or did it run? No, I think it was meant to be. I think it was, it was pink. pink. Yeah. That was a curzon, wasn't it? It That's was. Love a curzon premiere. 
So tasteful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I want to just be honest with you listening about how this book came to us. Um, it's a, a publicist that we know. And as soon as she mentioned your two names and said the word magic, I was in. That was me signed up. So I thought we could start by Jeremy, you first, then Andy, just explaining the part that magic plays in your life, what it means to you, what it's done for you, how it's informed your personality. Well, it, it completely formed me, magic. I, I, I was bitten by the bug, as we say, uh, those of us that love the art. Um, when I was probably about six or seven, I saw it was a combination of things. I saw a magician at uh, my brother's party. And then not long after that, I went, I saw the great Kavari on stage at the Harrogate Festival doing the zigzag lady, the very famous illusion uh, where a, a lady's tummy is sliced in three and pushed to one side. And I couldn't, I could not believe what I was seeing. That's how we had both of our kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, me too. Uh, well, my wife. Yeah. And then... Um, <laughs> And then I was, I think that the thing that sealed it was being taken to a magic shop, taken to uh, Davenport's in London, which in those days was uh, opposite um, the British Museum on Great Russell Street. And it was it was the full on palace of wonders. And I think the minute I walked in there and saw that such a place could exist, I was lost to it. You know, and so it's, did you buy so, anything? Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, um, without giving any spoilers, there's a scene in the book where uh, Louis buys a young Louis buys a particular trick, and I uh, that was the trick I got myself. Um, oh, so, that's yeah. cool. Yes, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, we've yeah, never yeah. talked about no, that. No, no, that's <laughs> right. Wow, fancy that yeah. gone through all these drafts together, and that's the first time you've discovered that's amazing. Um, and then I, be, I started big children's entertaining, I started doing kids' parties myself when I was about 12 and did it and all the way through into my student years and beyond um so uh, yeah i was i was i was got out pretty much every weekend doing a party from the age of 12 or 13 onwards so so that was me and then andy you should take over because it's like a relay race what happened well my i i mean jeremy's it plays a very big part into how i got into magic really so i was always interested my uncle harold uh, used to do a couple of tricks that were brilliant. Uh, and then he bought me a magic set when I was a kid. But traditionally, magic sets, the instructions and stuff are very bad. And it's quite hard to actually, you get this box full of, you know, absolutely amazing looking bright colored bits of plastic and cards that have flaps and boxes. But then you can't really work out how to use them. And that was my experience. And then I used to walk to school. I'm from Leicester. And I used to walk to school every day with a lad who was a, a couple of years younger than me, a guy called Richard Pearson, as he was then, who then became Richard Cadell. And Richard, when we were at school, won Young Magician of the Year. Mm. And then he went on to own and run fun fairs and theme parks and is now the guy who runs Sooty. He's he's done Sooty ah. for Richard Cadell. So we used to right. walk to school together. Then, so that was about 12, 13, and I, there was a magic shop in Leicester I went to a couple of times, but I can very clearly remember seeing a, a particular trick called Dizzy Dots, which is where you, you basically have two little lollipop sticks, and one of them has got, they've each got a dot on both sides, a little spot, and when your hands are apart and you shake them, the dot jumps off this one and lands on this one, and it's sort of sold as a beginner's trick and i remember i can very clearly remember seeing the guy do it and just 
not really understanding what was happening in the same way you'd have that thing you know occasionally if your science teacher was good and you do you know you add that to that and there'd be this mm. sort of chemical reaction and you think what's happening i felt the same in the magic shop but i didn't buy it because i thought that there's no way that's a beginner's trick it's just so amazing what happened then when, we, when i was 15 i went to a jewish summer camp called chai and jeremy was there um, because my family were from Leeds and Jeremy was from Leeds, I felt an instant connection. Uh, and we were sort of thrown together in the same dorm, the, a couple of the lads from Leicester and a couple of the lads from Leeds. And there were, you know, a few things that we instantly found akin. We both absolutely loved horror and we both loved magic. But I was, I was, I didn't really do magic. And then as our friendship blossomed and I would go to Leeds to see Jeremy, he showed me a couple of tricks. I mean, performed them, didn't show me how they were done. Mm -hmm. I can remember them very, very clearly. One of them was, uh, which he then did go on to teach me, was a brilliant version of uh, an amazing trick called Out of This World that's got an extraordinary history to it. And then uh, a trick where he held two matches on his fingers and one of the matches was like jumping, like it was like a attached to a flea or something. I mean, it, 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 brilliant. So... I sort of it rekindled this excitement of magic for me, which lay dormant until the year I left drama school when Jeremy was moving to London. And he one of the first things he did when we met up was he said, oh, let's go to Davenport's magic shop. And I thought, oh, come on, 21. I'm not interested in magic. What the hell do you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and he took me to Davenport's, which then was in Charing Cross Underground Station. And I walked through the door and it was like an instant drug. I mean, I mean, it is a fix. It's a proper fix. And as Jeremy said, the bug bit. And that was it. I mean, uh, you know, and then I sort of very obsessively started spending more money than I had on it like a drug buying tricks, buying books, and just sort of learning learning the craft of it and the art of it. So that was my... And I, I, I'm going to jump in because Andy's being modest because in that in the space of about a year, he went from never having performed magic to, to actually... I remember going to see uh, a, a cabaret show he did. It was, it was only... It was about a couple of years after that, probably... Uh, you were performing in Greece, uh, in Oxford, yeah, wasn't Derby it? Derby Playhouse. Derby, oh, Derby Playhouse. Derby Playhouse. And uh, he did a he did a late night cabaret after the show, doing the most amazing magic act I've ever seen. Having gone <laughs> from nothing in two years to this unbelievably confident performance, and but then you joined the circle, and you know yeah. you were you were away, weren't you? Within about I was, and I do love it. But you you actually touched on something that's really interesting. I think. You asked the question, or, or Phil, you may have mm. asked it, what has magic given you? Yeah. And that's a really interesting question because it, it is a truly profound art, magic. Once you get beyond, and I never really do get beyond the fix and the fascination and just the, the, the sort of junkies need to, to see something new that's going to fool you properly. But when you, I mean, number one, that's a wonderful thing it gives you because it is constantly invigorating. It, it, it's like 
it's like every day if you're into football every day is a world cup final <laughs> because you don't know you know it's like you're going into since someone's going to show you a trick that's like oh you're reading a book and you find something that just expands your mind like you can't believe but the the biggest thing i think it does for you and that especially in terms of story craft and is that every magic trick is basically a short story with a twist with a really good twist really yeah. so you know your your beginning of the story is take a card then the middle section is sign it, put it back, shuffle it so it's lost. And now your twist ending is it's gone from there and it's on the ceiling. You know, that's in a nutshell, you know, so structurally magic gives so much, but it also has this amazing gift of allowing you to see in life that things that feel absolutely impossible and insurmountable all have solutions with just a little bit of sideways thinking a little bit of application and that i don't just mean mechanically i mean mentally that's it's a remarkable tool in i would say that's the biggest thing it's given me as you hit the challenges that life throws at you which are numerous and endless it's it's very it's been enormously enabling to me to have psychological tools that let me l take a situation that might otherwise feel dwarfing and think no 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 that's okay because maybe you can do that and if that doesn't work we could always try that and what about that and that and and magic has really profoundly given me that so that's in terms of what it's given me that's that that's really cool because I think I have a similar brain. I think I'm no good at magic. I also got some of those magic sets, although I think I might have gotten them secondhand from my big sister when I was little, like that you were so excited by. They promised so much, but then delivered so little. Like mm. I remember especially there was like a, it was a blue and red egg and cup oh one that you had. It's amazing. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I had to mess it up the whole time or like lose like there was like a half ball in it and then a whole ball. Um, and like I really liked in this book, you have a line that says, um, if it fools you, it's yeah. threads or magnets. <laughs> I, I don't remember there being any threads or magnets in the in the kits that I had as a kid. So no, that's you, probably you why they're rubbish. To, you have to graduate to the threads and magnets. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah here, here's the amazing thing about that stuff is that I promise you, the ball and vase that mm. you are describing, I'm ashamed of myself that I haven't got one in my cabinet, but the ball and vase is so brilliant and fooling even that rubbish plastic one you get in the set yeah <laughs> i mean miming it for you now the trick is this here's a cabinet here's a little egg <laughs> cup i'm taking the lid off and there's a ball there. i'm going to tip it onto your hand okay look at it and you can look at the this and everything i'm putting the lid back on there and now give me the ball i'm taking the ball i'm putting it in my hand it's vanished and now we take the lid off and it's back in there and it's like what <laughs> what and then you put the lid back on snap your fingers it's vanished from there and it's back in your hand and it's it's truly an amazing thing so it's shame on the people that write the instructions for a lot of those things because it was very often about the fast buck and it just really 
that's why actually one of Marvin's magic, who have who've mm. been sort of the leader of sort of magic sets for probably oh, I don't know, 25 to 30 years now. He, he was always put an enormous amount of time into instructions and stuff to make it accessible because that's one of the ways of gener- uh, mine and Jeremy, our generation, was sort of let down by a lot of those magic sets that your fasc- fascination wasn't truly allowed to kindle. And they this. are much better now because we've just bought our six-year-old one and he's all over it. Brilliant. And he can go off on his own and learn a trick and comes out and he goes, Dad, watch this. So That's perfect. There you are. Oh, so it goes on. Yes, what about you? Sorry, I saw. Well, I, I, I mean, there's numerous things, but one of them was, and this may be something that's gone now, maybe not, but the, this version of it's probably gone. But I, when I when I let leapt up from the magic sets to to the threads and magnets, it was I got a book. It was a school prize for the uh, lower school reading competition, and it was a book called Magic of the Masters. And although it was one that was available in in ordinary bookshops, it had, and it was it was. It was kind of a, you know, a level up, I guess, from the usual hobby book. And at the back, it had um, some addresses that you could write off to, to professional magic companies who had, did monthly magazines. And this was a new thing for me. And I, my brother used to get a chess magazine every month because he was a very good chess player. So I asked my mum and dad if I could maybe have one of these magic magazines. And so we wrote off and... um, Two of them arrived in the post and one of them in particular, it was like I couldn't believe such a thing could exist because it was for professionals. And oh, that's magic <laughs> of the masters. Very good, Andy. That's exactly Andy's just one. wandered off and found it. <laughs> um, so this magic, this magic company was called the Supreme Magic Company. It was the largest magic company in the world at that time. It was based in, in Devon, in Biddeford. And they did this monthly magazine called The Magigram. And I realized there was this whole other world, expansive, enormous world of professional magicians that I knew nothing about. And it was literally like a parallel universe, just the books alone. And I'm not exaggerating, thousands upon thousands of books that were only available through these these professional um, companies you couldn't go and get them from bookshops you couldn't order them from bookshops you certainly couldn't get them from libraries you, you had to have the secret knowledge that such a place exists and when I started getting these books that the kind of magic that was in them it, it really was secret knowledge the the moves the, the the sleights of hand that they would they would teach the the information it was very closely guarded and you couldn't access it unless you'd found one of these little portals and I suppose had the interest and the passion enough to to send off your stamped addressed envelope and which would immediately you know eliminate the casual um the casually curious so so the this idea of a parallel world existing alongside the everyday world that you could then enter into uh, and uh, and learn about that was that was an extraordinary thrill. And I still have that thrill now, all these years later. You know, when Andy Andy has runs a magic convention himself now, a wonderful magic convention uh, every year. And the one that they just had in November, just going into that, the dealer's hall, as they call it, where all the magic dealers from all around the country have a, sta- a stall. I mean, you, you just, you're just, that's the best magic trick of, of all because you're 11 years old again. So can I just you... ask naively, are, that when you're in that dealer's hall, are people right now as we speak, are people around the world trying to come up with new tricks? Oh my God, yes. And how hard is that then? Because I, you, you kind of feel like you've pretty much seen 
I mean, I've seen everybody from from Paul Daniels when I was a kid right through to going to Vegas to see Penn and Teller, where they even show you how they do some of their tricks. And you think it's so inventive, so creative. But then whenever I watch, say, Britain's Got Talent, they've got magicians on, it's always a variation of the same trick. That's, I mean, what's interesting, what you're identifying is, I mean, it's a bit like saying, writing a new song. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, good. That's a good analogy. You know, because... You can hear songs that like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a song and I quite like it, but it's just him, in it? It's just ripped off them or them, or that's a variant on their song. Or, yeah. But what you want is every now and then when you get someone come up that you think, what? What is that tune? Listen to his mm. voice. Mm. And again, the analogy runs true, which is it's the per- it's about the person ultimately that's performing it and how much how brave they are that allows you to see so much of them. Um, the other thing that's very key within magic, which brings us back to the book, which is it's about the friendships, and that's another unexpected gift. You know, Jeremy and I are lifetimes love of each other. A big part of that is magic. And there's an there's an amazing leveler within magic. So at the magic circle where I'll go tonight with my son, who's also very involved in the magic world now. You make friends with people, and it's true all over the world. Doesn't matter where you go, there are magic societies and you make friends with people. And I remember very clearly the moment the penny dropped for me where you're chatting to someone at the circle and there's a few people on a table and someone's some old fella's doing something with pennies and someone over there is doing something. And uh, I'll say, who's that, the old fella there? And he's like, oh, he was um, he was uh, one of the guys. And they say, oh, Fergus, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he was the guy who was the um, put together the maps in Colditz. For them, what? Uh, and that guy there, who's always weird, who's oh yeah, no, he he was, um, he was one of he was one of the the um Brinks Matt. He was one of the guys involved in the robbery. He was inside for about twenty two years. <laughs> Actually, the guy in the far corner over there was one of the judges who put. I mean, you've got this absolutely <laughs> amazing. Oh, you know, and he's a. He's a bricklayer. He's a, you know, you've got this incredible mix, and you don't know for the most part until you get to know people. They're just, oh, show him that trick. And you make these friends. And that's one of the great things within the book. I mean, we've talked just before we started recording, so we didn't spoil anything <laughs> about the world that we evoke. And there's an, a huge amount of truth within the book real names real people that we really want to pay homage to that world and there are lots of people we refer to not only famous people but many of the characters in the book are based if not kept the same names as real people and the jobs they did so you're reading these things and it's I just did the audio book and when I was going over it, I hadn't read it for a while. And it was, it gave me such a warm feeling that only because it was our work and how fond of it we are, but also just evoking these people, many of whom I had close relationships with many of whom were sort of heroes to Jeremy, you know, that, that we sort of, this world is there and it's very much alive. And the ghosts of those people are in there, I think, which is lovely chess as well. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. think it's really fascinating that the um, 
I mean, there's so much to talk to you both about, <laughs> but the the sort of notion of storytelling and magic and also the fact that your book is set in this espionage, thrilling world too. And I think on the face of it, people might be like, oh yeah, I can't quite see how like those link or it's a bit far-fetched that that to try and make the, the connections between them. But hearing you talk all the more, it's like, well, of course, because it's unlocking the brain in a very specific way and it's actually tapping into people who are creatively able to do that in so many bizarre situations and I kind of love the respect that you've given that throughout the book yeah well I mean it was it was a joy for us to slip into this world obviously for all everything we've been discussing (laughs) but also the the idea of uh, of bringing those two worlds together because the seed of the book it goes back many many years it's funny how things often w- will gestate and wait literally decades for their time to come but um was it was reading a um a magic book which was a a review of one particular magician's uh sort of life and work and it was a description of uh, a challenge that he was set not quite like in the circumstances in the book, um, but uh, he still had to rise to the occasion. And it was so exciting reading how he solved these impossible problems that you couldn't you couldn't not read it, or we couldn't not read it and think, that's, that's like a movie, that's like Bond. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and that that was the, that was the seed of this book. Yeah, it was it grew out of of so it was real. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a confection. It wasn't it wasn't a, a sort of contrived thing. It was actually coming out of the lived experience, as I say nowadays, of uh, of a real magician. And, well, and we should what it probably was like. um, set it up, really, shouldn't we? Because yes. we've been gassing for a bit now. So, so <laughs> forgive us, because obviously we're fascinated by our two guests, which is the way it should be on a podcast. But uh, just if you're thinking, what is this book then, the Warlock effect? What, what? So Louis Warlock is the kind of central figure, and when we join it. And you can jump in when I go too far. But when we join it, he's, you know, performing and he's got a good stage presence following what have you. And then someone doubts him, calls him a fraud. So sets him this kind of quite outlandish challenge that he has to get around. And that's when you get an insight into his friendship group, then the Brains Trust, as you've called them, who I love. I love all the Brains Trust. If ever there was a spin-off book waiting to eat, the Brains Trust, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, and yeah, Natalie phrased it well, so I'm probably going to leave it that. Um, he enters the world of governmental espionage and that's probably where i want to stop then um and again i suppose it's worth asking that as a question to you both which natalie hinted at which is how tricky was it for you to meld those worlds because it's done seamlessly but when it first happens even as a reader i was like oh go on then this will be a good trick if you can pull this off and you have <laughs> well i mean funnily if you've ever read le carry i'm sure you have mm. it- and it's full of what they call tradecraft, which yeah, is yeah. which is what the uh, and you know he was writing from his own experience uh, or his own knowledge of of what actually happened. But if you if you've got any interest in magic, the first thing you think is, oh, that's the same as magic, you know, because it's because <laughs> yeah. it, it's all specially made. There's loads of specially made props and yeah. uh, things that have to disguise themselves, and then the techniques of sort of switching things, and it, 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 there's <laughs> such an overlap. So th- to us, at least, it, 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 that's I don't think we were ever intimidated. But were we intimidated? Uh, by just, I don't think we were. Very natural. Yeah. I have to also just say um, one thing we've been delighted by actually in terms of 
the the response to the book um because on on hearing it it's quite a male book i think to, is is it's quite easy to imagine it's a very male book it's about spies and magicians but actually one of the things we've been very touched by is it's also a love story and um and i think that that's one of the things within it that almost more surprising than working the spy stuff actually was how the love story sort of found itself i think that that was something that for us i think was really key within it that that i i think jeremy sort of took its own journey in a way in some respects the spy stuff and the plot twists of which there are many we kind of had really worked on that and then there was this sort of beating heart that kind of led it had its own thing going as well so that that was been it's, it's true that it was that delightful thing that sometimes but not always happens when you're writing which is you know the thing takes on a life of its own and surprises you and um and andy's absolutely right that aspect of it we certainly weren't looking for it or or, or anticipating it and then and then it emerged of its own accord which That's is really yeah, interesting jeremy because uh, i would say again i don't want to give too much away but uh, the, the love story aspect of it is ultimately what sees louis through the book right absolutely yeah it's at the core of it Without that, I don't um, think he'd have survived the book. No, I, that's, well, certain, I, that's certainly as far as he gets. Yeah, absolutely, that's the case. Yeah, um, and but you know that that's the mysteries and magic of of the act of writing uh, is that things like that can just come up and surprise you. you. You often don't know what something's about until you're until you're well well into it. I mean, that was the same with ghost stories, wasn't it, Andy? I think that oh, we absolutely. You know, you sort of start on the surface or with with lots of surface ideas. And then if you're fortunate and it doesn't always happen, it sort of springs into life and then it starts telling you. And yeah. um, and that was the case here with and, and with that emotional that emotional. Oh, and just the practicalities. How did the pair of you work together when you're writing? Do you plot it together? Do you then write separate chapters? What's the the process? Yeah, we well, we have we've been you know as you've as you've encapsulated in your summary, we've been collaborating for many many years, and so we've we've already we've got an existing creative shorthand between us, so we're well used to sort of passing stuff back and forth and editing each other's material, and but the biggest part of it for both of us is actually the talking, isn't it, Andy? Would you say? Yeah, the, I, I think the that's talk, the, the talking and the thinking. We just and we're very. We're very unguarded. We, you know, it's very much a safe space when we talk and we talk about anything and everything from our families, what's happening in the news, how we're feeling, what's going on, our health, our greater families, anything and everything. Um, and then it it's absolutely remarkable how either that stuff unknowingly filters itself into your characters or knowingly suddenly someone will say something and the other person will say oh my god i mean that's isn't that exactly what is happening with dinah one of the characters in the book at the moment and suddenly you're you're into an area that had you have sat down and said okay let's we need to plot the next two chapters about what she's thinking or feeling you know it's 
when Jeremy and I started working together years ago, um, one of the one of the things Jeremy kept saying to me that really has taken me a long time to embrace is trust the process. And it's so true that, again, like one of the things Louis adheres to is not letting fear in and just not thinking, come on, we've got to get this book to the publisher. We've got to finish it mm. because that just chokes you. And, it, you know, if you sit and talk about and just trust that process, it's at, and it's the same in creating Darren stuff with Darren, you know, this, you just allow in, if you're open to it, the, the ability for it to take hold of you as opposed to you taking hold of it. And is it easier for you to eradicate any self-doubt because there's two of you? Do you have days uh, when you're on the phone to each other and one of you may be going, I'm not sure, to, and then the other one can go, no, because look, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that, absolutely. That's one of the joys and privileges of collaborating. One of the things I've always enjoyed collaborations across the length of my career. And uh, uh, that's one definitely one of the things I love about it is yeah. you can never really get stuck you know, because because you've always got someone to talk to and uh, and also you've got someone to share it with. You know, it's such a writing can be a lonely business. And so so to have discovered a way of doing it with someone else is uh, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful thing. I've only ever collaborated. I have such respect. I have no idea how Jeremy does it on his own. I have no <laughs> idea. I simply couldn't do it. Um, the other the other unbelievable gift of. You know, it's got to be a collaborator that you love and trust and are love enough to be able to have arguments or disagreements over stuff because you should passionately be able to say, I just know this is right. And the other person can say, it's not, it's not, it's rubbish or whatever it is, you know, because the, the truth of it is those little things, I would say, are 2% of when you the, the spark and the other 98% is just you're making each other's work better. And it's amazing when, you know, you've worked on a chapter or passed it over and you've passed back and the other person can either say, I absolutely love it. You don't need that, that, and that, but I love it. Or I love it, but I feel like it's missing this. And mm. it's like, Oh, yes. Yeah, I had kind of two things on that. So first, I think that's actually a really profound point. I can remember when I first went to university and one of the lecturers gave a talk about how you have to share, you have to share ideas for them to truly be great. So if you if you hold on to stuff and if you're kind of selfish about ideas because you're worried about somebody taking your idea or for whatever reason it is, or you know, you're worried about not getting credit or whatever it might be, that idea will never live fully um and obviously I think we can apply that to lots of other aspects of life too but I also wanted to ask you about the fear aspect and one of the quotes that I pulled out was when Louis talking about how he copes if something goes wrong as part of his act and you've written yeah. uh bluff it out make them think that somehow that was part of the plan all along and go on to wow them with something else the one thing that was certain was that you couldn't get to that better place if you let terror take over but if you managed to keep it cornered it was possible to be creative in any given moment i love that <laughs> andy that's that's your experience as a working magician isn't it yeah your audience doesn't know what's going to happen mm -hmm. and that's true i mean it's true in life that's what's mm. about the profound thing yeah well, if your audience is everyone that you meet, <laughs> they, don't, they don't know what the thing you were going for was. 
So we know, when I want to say we, I don't mean me and Jeremy, we know as intelligent human beings, fear is absolutely crippling. Yeah. You know, you look at the rates of anxiety, you look at the rates of, of, of the profound effect that feeling helpless and hopeless and dwarfed and suffocated by things that for the most part you cannot do anything about how detrimental that is so to be able to try and find a mechanism to free yourself of that and surely the first part in that is to acknowledge that I'm feeling dwarfed and helpless and suffocated by things I cannot, that are out of my control. So surely the beginning, just by shining a light on that, it is the first step to feeling like, okay, so that's, that that's, so I find it very truthful, that stuff. I'll yeah. do another collaboration thing, actually. And, uh, and for me, when I kind of, this dawned on me, it was also something that was very potent, is that, I don't know if you've ever done, ever done a Ouija board, but a Ouija board... You have, Natalie, yeah. have you? Yeah, at university. Yeah. I also once wrote, um, <laughs> the first screenplay I wrote, which nobody will ever read, was about a Ouija board, so yeah. Very good. So having had that experience, you know that what's amazing about it is that glass is moving and nobody's pushing it. It's mm -hmm. really extraordinary. And any people who are listening to the podcast, I urge you to have a go because it's a really interesting thing. Because what is happening that we know scientifically is happening is it's a thing called idiomotor syndrome where you are actually pushing it. You're pushing it. It's tiny little um, micro sensations that as you think about the thing moving, you're moving it without knowing you're doing it. But the incredible thing is when there are two, three, four of you doing it, nobody feels like they're pushing it you can even take one of you can take your hand off it and that thing even if it's just one person moving it without knowing they're doing it this thing is moving and none of you are pushing it and that's what to me a collaboration is is it's like this thing has a life of its own and you've both got your hands on it and there are times when i feel like Jeremy's doing all the donkey work and Jeremy <laughs> will maybe think I'm not really doing anything. Thank God Andy's here pushing that glass, you know, and it's an amazing thing um, because that that to me is the is the closest to the feeling of what a great collaboration is, is that thing. And consequently, it becomes more than what we can create. It becomes something other than that. Well, I'm done your Ouija board, Nat. <laughs> well i'm sure there was probably alcohol involved at the time um i can't quite remember but i remember like just being quite in awe of it as well like i never kind of took it for i don't think i was necessarily scared of it but just aware that there was some other energy going on between like but as you say it's a collaboration it's not necessarily an other entity but it's a yeah that energy of a group of people together all trying to do or avoid something um it's fascinating I'm getting that same voice now from Beyond the Grave. It says, can you ask the boys to read from the book? Ask the boys <laughs> to read from the book. Uh, Andy, you're going to do it because, as you mentioned earlier, you've done the audio book, right? I have, yeah. And so before the reading, do you mind me just asking how that decision was uh, happened upon? Did you consider splitting the audio book at all because you're co-authors? Well, originally, um, 
a third party we thought a third party would read it we thought uh, or, or we talked about it and uh, and for some reason we thought let's just do it like like any other book and then uh, and get someone to do it and then we realized it, that we were being crazy not having Andy do it because you know Andy's the most wonderful and consummate actor and um and indeed has read other people's audiobooks so <laughs> it was insane not to have Andy read it as we realized and uh, so you know there wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision once we'd uh, got out of our own way and Andy, just give people an insight into doing audiobooks because some uh, uh, the radio show I did before this current one, I did in a studio, a remote studio, where for the majority of the time it was used for audiobooks. Yeah. And you'd see people in there for two or three weeks at a time just trying to nail these books down. I mean, you get an idea of how long it takes because most um, iBook stores now give you the duration of the audiobook. So you know if you're going to sit and listen to it, it's 11 hours 24 or whatever. So you know you must have been in there for at least that long. But is it quite soul-destroying doing just long it's hours of... It's not soul-destroying. It's just... It's just... It's a lot of hard work for a cut. Mm. I mean, it, so it was three and a half days. Right. And um, I'm not a fast reader is the other thing. Um, but but technically it's quite a hard thing, aside from just trying to make sense of it and bring it to life without mm. strangling it because you're doing too much. <laughs> um, but the other thing that there are two things I find technically very hard. The first thing is now you're reading it off an iPad. Well, after about four hours, I, it's very hard to actually focus my eyes on the iPad. Mm. Yeah, um, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, and this is the same if you're doing like TV shows that I'll do voiceovers for and stuff. You get oxygen starved after a while. So after about an hour and a half, you st you start jumbling your words in a way that you didn't before. You're stumbling over things in a way you didn't before because you're in these little tiny booths and you just like, okay, I need to go out and, and get some fresh air. <laughs> so they're, they're the two things that make it hard. But, and again, like anything else, <clears throat> starting a 350-page book or whatever it is, you just think, oh, my God. This is a lot. <laughs> and then by the time you get to the end, the sense of achievement is just massive. Mm -hmm. So I'm really, really, uh, I'm delighted I've done it because it, as Jeremy said, it did sort of feel right to do it. And, um, and I just hope I've served the book. So I should read a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and let me just explain without giving anything away uh, within the book. This is sort of midway through, but there is a book within the book. And within the Warlock Effect, uh, there is a book called The Warlock Effect, um, which our hero, Louis Warlock, who is Britain's most consummate um, and popular magician, and set, it's set in 1950s, has decided to write a book of all his methods for the magic community, uh, where he not only teaches his methods, but some of the thinking behind uh, his reasoning. So this is um, a couple of paragraphs from uh, one of the chapters within the book, within the book, The Warlock Effect, The Warlock Effect. And this chapter um, is called The Real Magic Word. Andy, I think you should go to the go to um, halfway down the second page. You've got to do go that far. Go as far as. Um, oh, yes, yes, yes. OK. Well, you can cut it down if it's too much. I don't think we will. <laughs> It'll only add an hour and a half to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My dear friend, are you still there? Are you reading this? 
if you are and you are aren't you i know you are i know you are i want you to think of a magic word got one well, I'm guessing you're either thinking of Hocus Pocus or Abracadabra. Yes, there are a few other more obscure ones out there like Gazumba and Simsalabim, but ultimately it boils down to a choice of two. Think about those two choices while I remind you what a magic word really is. It is a spell, an assembly of letters that possess an ancient, otherworldly power, accessing and bringing forth a force that ordinary people cannot command. Now, close your eyes and whisper them both, but don't just speak the words as you say them. Imagine that you command and affect that real power, the power to bring something into being make something appear, to bring it forward into our realm, however unlikely, however impossible it seems. Which one of those words felt to you like it had the most power? Well, somehow Hocus Pocus feels silly, doesn't it? Like it's made for children. Maybe that's because it's an invented word. It has no real grounding, no absolute power. It was first created to describe the frivolous tricks that 16th century jugglers performed. But abracadabra is a different beast. Whisper it again. As the word trips off your tongue, you can sense there's something beneath it, something deep and ancient. It's there in its rhythm, its sound, its music. Without you even knowing it, that word, a word that has survived since the second century AD, evokes a response that you can't put your finger on. You can feel the dark, ancient power of it. Abracadabra is a corruption of the Hebrew ebracadabri, meaning I will create as I speak. In other words, the very act of speech will create new realities. Words have power once they are formed. This I know to be true. That was the best advert for the audio book you could have done. That was incredible. <laughs> you like gave me chills. Yeah, yeah me too. And in my me head, too. I'm like going abracadabra, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> sensational, Andy. Thank you so much for doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, have you guys, have you seen SAS Who Dares Wins? No. Are you familiar with that? Okay, so it's a Channel 4 show. We, we're addicted to it. Um, and there's a reason I'm mentioning this. It will make sense, trust me. Uh, but the idea is that three or four former service personnel put members of the public through the exercises that you supposedly do to see if you can get into the SAS or not. And at the very end of the series, they tell you whether they would they would be willing to serve with you or not, whether you've got what it takes, right? And the reason I mention it is that I interviewed a a member of the a former member of the forces staff on the radio and asked them if they'd seen it and they said no you shouldn't be doing that we all agree when you leave the service you don't talk about what you do right now you've already said you're going to the magic circle tonight 
And one of my questions was going to be, have they excommunicated you for <laughs> kind of writing all your tricks in the book? So how have you got round that kind of that kind of almost pact, almost covenant that the SAS guys have and that magicians have that you shouldn't talk publicly to people like us to muggles about your tricks? Well, that's a, that's a good question. It's a really interesting thing that notion of giving stuff away. Firstly, there are a couple of tricks legitimate real tricks that the reader will be able to go and perform and the tricks that are in there are firstly tricks that are very old and in almost in the public domain now and um, that have been around and written about and published in non-magical forms many times and then there's a couple of little twists on things that jeremy and i created which means that's fine but the thing about magic and giving away the secrets is in the giveaway. That's the problem. It's one thing to buy a book that is about magic and invest that money and invest that time and take a lesson from it. That's okay. Mm. What is okay is if you were to go on Anton Deck saturday night takeaway and say hey guys each week i'm going to teach you a trick and throw you know and devalue it no one's actually asked you to do it they haven't invested anything they just happen to be sitting there and it's thrown to them in a worthless way and i i also think within the book one of the things i'm really proud of what jeremy and i've worked on because we both care about magic so much and also i am so involved in the magic world that you know, my standing in that world really matters to me. So I, I was very cautious about this stuff. Um, but one of the things I think is magicians, there's an awful lot in there for them to go away. I mean, there's one chapter on the notion of patience when performing magic that I think is invaluable for working magicians or even magicians who are hobbyists. I think that if you are into magic... There are lessons within the book that I think will make anyone who does magic make their magic much, much better. So it's a good question, but it's something that we really, Jeremy and I spoke a lot about uh, in terms of. So quite a lot of the time when we're talking about gimmicks within magic tricks, we don't actually expose it. We'll mention the fact there's a gimmick in exactly the same way. If I was to perform a particular trick for you and go away, you might say, well, it must be a special deck of cards. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some, some something hidden in the cards or something. I don't know. Well, we don't really go much further than that, mm. other than saying there's something hidden in the cards, a beautiful mechanism. Yeah. You know, and then the rest is up to the audience. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's I kind of also love that. So I think there are some people out there who just think that magic is really geeky and they're not kind of into it but it's it's that notion that actually there are so many crossovers in so many walks of life so mentalism especially and you know the the power of manifesting or just you know leadership qualities that people do in everyday business actually is kind of rooted in a lot of the the mentalism that you you talk about and I I remember reading um one of Darren Brown's books where he again kind of uncovered a lot about how he did some of his stage tricks um and it's just fascinating and 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 it almost seems commonsensical a lot of the times 
as well. And I guess my question is, I don't know why we don't adopt a lot of these into our everyday lives more anyway, because it just to make seems our lives for, better, you yeah, mean. for mental yeah. agility well, and I everything. I would lay money on the fact that at its... I would lay money on the fact that at least one of the team of people that helped find the vaccine will do magic. Mm -hmm. There is no way that the crossover into that science world, so many, it, it it's just the thinking patterns. You just know that because it's just problem solving. Yeah. It's looking at something that is impossible. Holy shit. Here's a new disease this terrible terrifying insurmountable thing that we cannot beat how are we going to solve that and it's exactly the same the stakes are admittedly lower (laughs) (laughs) here is a wine bottle here is a table i want to be able to push that wine bottle through the table while everybody looks and it's a borrowed wine bottle and a borrowed table i mean there are ways of doing that that are amazing and sideways thinking that i think it should be taught in school Mm -hmm. that's what's so crushing about the arts always being the first thing to be cut and disregarded it's so babyish and naive to think it's just something that's for the posh elite it's such bullshit to think that because the arts offers the solution to absolutely everything everything Mm -hmm. the way you the way you keep your mind open it's so I guarantee there will be people within those teams who do magic because it's just impossible that they couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree about I, it. Yeah. The kind of the notion that arts are frivolous or don't have as much value as science when there's so much art in science anyway, yeah. and it's all about, the creative thinking and how you can unlock your brain to do that. It's, it's fascinating. And what have some of your sort of inner circle, how have they reacted to the book? Uh, you mean the uh, magicians, other magicians? Yeah, magicians, or kind of like friends in the business who kind of know some of those tricks. And Well, it's, it has, thankfully, thus far, it's been very positive, hasn't it, Andy? Oh, I yeah. Think. Yeah. I mean, Darren loved it. Um Professor Richard Wiseman absolutely loved it. Brilliant guy um, called David Britland, who's a, a, well, just the most, he's a brilliant magician and the most wonderful um, historian, loved it. So, but but the honest truth at the moment is not many people have read it, you know. Yeah. That it's, it's just starting on that journey now. Mm. Certainly those that have read it, um, who who have so far from that small pool who have an investment in magic, none of them have sort of said, why have you done that? <laughs> why would you do that, mate? You've cut your own throat. You and Jeremy, are, no one's going to talk to you. No, I mean, quite the opposite, because there's also such love for the British magic scene mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. And uh, doesn't... I was just going to say the other pleasing thing, though, is 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 the is the flip of that seems to be the case that people who I might have thought would have been turned off uh, because of the uh, you know who have negative associations with magic of um, light entertainers in bad wigs 
<laughs> have have actually really enjoyed it as well so you know for the story side of it and the emotional side of it and the, the twists and turns and the roller coaster ride of it so that's that's equally pleasing i think and i just wanted to add as well that it, it must be really thrilling that obviously you realize this because you two have been kind of operating in this field for a long time now but again that notion that misdirection which is such a huge part of the magic world is absolutely a genius part of writing a thriller or a spy book or mm. any kind of action plot right so that again that just kind of goes hand in hand yeah we uh well i mean we enjoy doing that and we can we sort of discovered that to some extent on ghost stories didn't we i think yeah uh, and that, that we both made that connection to well we never we don't write from a sort of a cold place i'm not suggesting other people do but we definitely write from a position where what what would you want to read if you were reading this? And also, yeah. you just, you know, I, I hope that those twists and turns just made you <gasps> gasp and think, oh, they my did. <laughs> God, you know, because, as you say, that's the misdirection, because ultimately you want to feel like, it's what we were saying at the beginning when we when just before we started recording, when we were like, well, how much are we allowed to spoil or not spoil? Jeremy and I, both adore a story and you want as little of that spoilt for you as possible so that you can go into it knowing nothing and just the experience hopefully is that you want to go to someone just read it just read it yeah and exactly the same way with ghost stories we want to just come and just go see it trust mm, us mm. just go you know because you want it's such a rare and wonderful thing to it's like a magic trick. It's like you've seen a good, you've read a good magic trick and, and you don't want, it's like someone saying to you, oh, he's going to show you a brilliant trick where your card ends up on the ceiling. Oh, great. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you don't want that. You want, okay, watch this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I read online that is there a, there's a second book in the offing. Is it already done, and is it a decade after this? And am, am I well-informed or misinformed? Can you fill in the blanks for me? No spoilers. There is, <laughs> well, there is a, yeah, we, we signed a two-book deal with with, uh, with Hodder, so um, there, is a, there is another book. Uh, there, there will is more to come from um, Louis and the Brains Trust. That's all we're going to say at this stage. <laughs> oh nice but when though when will we get that i'm being greedy uh uh, uh again i'm uh we we don't have dates so you'll have to be patient like <laughs> Andy's andy laughing said, up it. why are you laughing so there's much a, there's a chapter in the book about patience sandy says <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're excited to do the next one right we're, we're excited to do the next one yeah we one. i mean yes joking aside we have quite a strong sense of uh, what that next one is and we've already we are already um at work on it so um it uh it will hopefully emerge yeah in due course right one more thing before recommendations um natalie do you mind just talking before we get to the guys book recommendations about the the world the story setting and how it resonated with you because of the world that you've emerged from because I, I you just told us that before we started recording i, I didn't know and i found it really interesting oh did you yeah uh yeah so because it's set in the 1950s um and so my mum and dad so one was born in 1938 the other one was born in 43 um but then they kind of they both worked in that kind of vaudevillian theatrical world so my mum was a dancer a tiller girl and um Whoa. my dad was 
uh, a musician, a musical director, but kind of some of the many of the characters felt familiar to me. And just that um, the thing that I, that I probably came from it is just that real love of that theatre environment and the mm. respect of it that I think comes from that real passion and love that you you kind of really honour that world and you you're automatically coming from a place of of trust and respect I think and 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 wanting to share that passion so as soon as any of the characters there were a lot of the sort of friendship relationships I that found I found very believable and relatable because it was that you didn't need to kind of lay much groundwork for me for them to be like they'd do a trick and the other one be like oh yeah kind of I get it and you could see that they were bonded straight away because they they shared an affinity for that and it's a bit like finding your tribe right it was I just thought it was yeah. really heartwarming I think one of the things is it's easy to sort of be sneery about that world or or see it as being somehow kitsch or passe or old-fashioned or you know think of the 70s as being nothing but negatives but yeah you're right we're coming from a completely opposite place of just having the most enormous respect for mm. for all of that you know and the work that goes into it like yeah there's that kind of notion that if you see a trick you assume it's easy but as we were saying early on mm. you have to practice and the amount of skill and craftsmanship that goes into it is yeah it takes hours and hours and also that sort of backstage variety world, and because obviously I have my other life in comedy as well, the awareness of that of a whole generation of 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 the most influential comedians that kind of formed my generation came out of that world of the windmill theatre, uh, concert parties, and uh, what an amazing testing ground, proving ground that environment was, which is sadly now just gone forever and there's there's no equivalent of it so it's a vanished world that that was very special very magical and there were all these unlikely collisions between personalities and people a bit like Andy was saying about the magic circle is being this great leveler uh that all these these unlikely people were thrown together mainly coming out of the second world war although show business will do that in in and of itself as well um and special things came from that you know, uh, uh, sort of these the things that we have in the brain trust, this um, the brains trust in the book, this, these unlikely cross pollinations between different talents, different people from a different class, different backgrounds. And I, I myself, having grown up in a, a sort of solidly middle class, envi safe environment, with, it was my father was an accountant. The minute I, you know, started earning my living in show business, it was one of the things I drew great joy from I think was all those different people that you would come across mm. and and so yeah if, if some of that's made it into the book even a bit of that's made it into the book that's very pleasing right give us some recommendations from each of you then Andy do you want to take it first um other books that you've read these this can be anything can be fiction non-fiction well, old new I'm gonna recommend uh a couple of magic books great magic. I'm going to uh, write them down and buy them for my yeah. husband. The, the, the readers may be interesting. The, the first uh, is is a fascinating uh, book called Hiding the Elephant. And it's by Jim Steinmeier. And it's really about, it's a book for the public, and it's about the thinking behind magic, psychology of magic, and Jim, who wrote it, is the greatest illusion inventor of our lifetime. So Jim did 
many of the um, David Copperfield illusions, giant, famous. Uh, basically, if you've seen an illusionist, guaranteed it's one of Jim's illusions. All the modern, right. I mean, he's fascinating, man. So Hiding the Elephant is the first one. And the second one I'd like to recommend is the first magic book I ever got, which my dad bought me. Um, and this is in terms of learning tricks. Uh, and it was around for years in discount bookshops. Uh, it's called the Mark Wilson Complete Course in Magic. And Mark Wilson was the American equivalent of Paul Daniels. He was the Saturday night um, superstar magician from like the 50s through to the 80s, maybe. Uh, and did everything, illusions, doves, ropes, close-up cards, coins, silks. And this book is beautifully illustrated. It's very pragmatic. The collection of material within it is brilliant in terms of a broad base. I mean, I've often said to people, if I ever teach them and stuff, honest to God, that book, you, you don't need any more books. And there are a few editions out there. They do a pocket edition, which is, if you can avoid buying it, avoid buying it, because it's a big hardback book and this pocket edition sort of reduces it to literally a small sort of a5 but that's very very thick i think you can get big softback versions of the book it's absolutely brilliant i've just found it paperback now on amazon for 12 quid and is that large sort of large format yeah mark wilson's complete course in magic and it looks fairly large there's only one yeah. left in stock so there's every chance that will go by the time this airs but, for it. <laughs> yeah but you'll, you'll always it's always around you'll find it on ebay if not you'll find it uh you know hive has probably got it and it's a really really wonderful book so that's two magic books i'd like to recommend one that is really an interesting book on the theory of it and the other is actually if you thought you know what I want to learn a couple of tricks, but also worth saying, if you do want to learn a couple of tricks, there are a couple of absolutely deeply fooling magic tricks that you will learn and perform that are in the Warlock effect. Okay, well, I'll go for the spy side and two two classics that are so well known, you, you may not have read them or you may not consider reading them and they are both absolutely brilliant. So one is um, Casino Royale, which is the first of Ian Fleming's uh, James Bond books from 1953, which is the same year that The Warlock Effect is set. And it's just like 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 most of the Bond books, it's just a brilliant read. You know, great for a plane. You can read them on a plane journey uh, just because, you know, you just start turning the pages and you can't stop. And it's really interesting to meet Bond for the very first time as he was conceived of in the time he was conceived yeah. of which was only what seven eight years after this after the second world war and um uh, it's really fascinating and a brilliant read and and a big influence on us uh, and the other one equally uh an, an influence is, is the is the carry the spy who came in from the cold which was his third book and the one that really i think made his name or, or, or brought him to uh readers attentions and again you just can't put it down the most compelling read you could imagine and a brilliant magic trick at the heart of it as well. Anthony Horowitz came on this podcast when he'd just done one of his new Bond stories hmm. and I said I'd never read any Fleming so he said right go away now and read Goldfinger and I did and like you said it's so quick you just devour okay. them yeah, it's yeah, they are. They're terrific. You know, he hated writing Fleming, and the only way he could do it was to lock himself 
in a hotel room or or in his later in his place uh, in Jamaica, and um, he he used to write him about two weeks. I think he you know bottle of whiskey and <laughs> door locked, and he he wasn't allowed out until until he got to the end. So they have this uh, this kind of frenzied pace to them. But, I've uh, tried that with my family, Jeremy, but it doesn't wash. I say to him, I can't do that unless I can have a bottle of whiskey in a locked room, preferably in Jamaica for two weeks, and then they're not having any of it. Well, if only Fleming had found a collaborator, then maybe he'd have found more joy in the process. Uh, I only want to say one more thing, and that is earlier when you were talking about the love story that's in this book, having spent an hour with you in your company, it's really clear why that's written so well, because of the yeah. love that you have for each other. And I think it's so cool that you were at school together, and now you're doing all these amazing projects together. And we record these all different times of day and night right now it's the afternoon you've made my day better just spending an hour with you both i really mean that has just made my day better it's been so uplifting so i can't thank you enough for the book and for your time that's, that's very lovely. kind of you thank, thank you, you so much. thank you very much Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed recording it with them. I wasn't that was sincere what i said about how much it had improved my day when we did it with them a couple of weeks ago such uh, life-affirming men, actually. More than, you know, sometimes you say, oh, they're nice. They were nice people, don't get me wrong, but they were life-affirming, we both found. And yeah. one of the things that really resonated with me was when they talked about the shorthand they had. And you and I have been doing this for five years now or so. And we we have that shorthand, and I kind of take it for granted a little bit, but there'll be times that when we're recording with people, we might send each other the odd direct message to go, do you want to pick up now or shall I do that? And I've got mm -hmm. this area of questioning, what about, so we don't overlap or collide. Yeah. But quite a lot of the time, it's quite intrinsic, isn't it? I can tell just by looking at you on a Zoom whether you want to come in or what point you want to make or what have you. And even now, and the other thing I think that I love about our relationship is that um, we, if we went to a bookshop together, we wouldn't buy the same 10 books. Would no, we? Maybe two all. of the max might be the same. Yeah. But I would like your other eight and you would like my other eight. And that's yeah. really special. It is. It is, and that's, you know, that's what's kind of so great, right, about sharing what we hope is our love of reading and hope that comes across in in doing these podcasts and the people we speak to, because there are so many, like, great ideas and stories out there, and I can't know them all, you can't know them all, and exactly. that's what's so brilliant about kind of building up this community um, of people who can share that passion as well, and I find it incredibly inspiring and makes me want to be better in much of the work I do but also in my own writing is I find it properly inspiring yeah can you do us a favor can you rate review and subscribe please obviously uh if also if you have some loose change in this day and age uh, that you don't know what to do with, then you could please buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com, ko-fi.com slash podcast, and we would appreciate that. And all the details will be on the blurby bit where you downloaded this from as well. And one final thought from me for you, Natalie Jameson. Okay. I think I've got the subject of your next book for you. Oh, do you? Yeah, because in that chat, when you revealed your mum and dad's background <laughs> i thought surely 50s showbiz now i don't know what i don't know if it's a thriller or a love story i don't know what it is but just something that where you've got this incredible pool of knowledge about an era of vintage showbiz that none of us have that you could imbue into a story just a thought i have yeah it kind of gives me slight palpitations thinking about it, but i think it's just that like mining your own um background sometimes can feel quite daunting but yeah like I've had that thought before about trying to use some of that in writing but um I'd have to like run it past my mum first <laughs> and she'd be like 
she'd either love it or hate it and she would obviously let me know which one it was but she um, loves this podcast doesn't she she does she does so she'll, Hi, she'll say yes <laughs> she does you, you'll say yes yeah. won't you mum <laughs> yeah i've just exerted yeah, a bit of pressure yes, it's fine <laughs> um but yeah i think that that world is just fascinating and yeah it's kind of so much part of my childhood uh, that you're probably right. I probably take it for granted and maybe to other people, it, it might be really interesting to explore. So maybe I will do that. I saw a comic once and he was being heckled quite persistently. Mm. Right. And he said to the heckler, all right, he said, I'll do you a deal. All right. Cause this heckler was really going for him. He says, we'll do a magic trick together. And if I win, you're going to be thrown out. But if you win, I'll walk off stage and that'll be the end of my set. So the guy, the heckler, thinks, great, great, deal, deal, yeah. he shouts. So the guy says, think of a number between one and ten, and the heckler goes, four. And he says, I said, think of it, you idiot, not shout it out. Try again, <laughs> right? And he gives him a second chance. So he says, have you got one? He says, yeah. He says, right, double it. He says, have you got a sibling? Yeah, I've got a brother. Add your brother's age. And he's going, hang on. He's going, hurry up, hurry up. And he's hurrying him along. And he goes, hey, yeah. Right then. Now square root that. He goes, uh yeah he says now shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> nice very good yeah yeah well um yeah hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed uh bringing it into the world and lots more authors to come soon mm-hmm.